happy, so happy that, that they cried because they were so happy. That he was a miracle. He was a special person. He was great, and he could um, complete his mission. I think that they were kind of surprised that he was, like, perfect. That they loved him. That's it? That's what I would say. Put you in timeout. Well, they should, like, punish me, like, um, ask me to go in my room for, like, um, 10 or 20 minutes. Great. Be good. Um, they should give you spanking and ground you. They need to be stern, they need to be strict, but they also need to be nice. It's kind of hard being strict and nice at the same time. They're not gonna give like money out, they're gonna give satisfaction to words like smiling. <laughs> Teach me to respect authority. Teach me just not to do bad stuff. So you're the good kid? Yes, pretty much. Well, I want to welcome those of you who are at our Sugar Loaf campus and those who are watching at our Mill Creek campus and those who are online and those who will be watching by television. We are really thrilled that uh, you came today on this wonderful, beautiful Mother's Day. Fifty years ago, if you had walked into a theater to see a movie, uh, there was only two possible ratings it could get, and the moviegoer would decide. And the only two ratings movies got back then is it was either a good movie or it was a bad movie. That was it. And then in 1968, the Motion Picture Association of America developed this thing called a film rating system. And if you don't, have not made yourself familiar, I know you may have seen the symbols, but you know G means anybody can go see it. It's wide open. There's no objectionable material. I mean, you know, this big, this big, no problem. And then PG calls for parental guidance because there may be material that may not be suitable for young children. And then you got PG-13, that, that calls for parental caution because there may be some material there that may not be suitable for pre-teenagers. Then you've got the R rating, which means that if you're under uh, 17 or under, you have to be accompanied by an adult. And then EC-17 means that only adults can see it. Now, what's kind of interesting to me is that even though one out of three movies made are either PG or PG-13, those rated movies make 70% of the money in the movie industry. So in other words, the overwhelming cry for moviegoers is they want to see movies that fall in that PG, PG-13 rating. Now, when it comes to children, we might say that God desires for all children to be raised in a PG home where PG guidance is not just suggested, but parental guidance really is required. If you are a guest of ours today, last week we started a series on parenting, and today we're talking about PG parenting. And let me just say a word to all of you who are parents out there, particularly of, of, of younger children and even those of you who have teenagers. I, I, I'm just, and I, I say this very sympathetically, your job as a parent, much more difficult than my job was as a parent. Your job as a parent's more complicated. There are more things going on outside the home that can tear down what you're trying to do than I ever had to deal with. But I want to tell you, never has your job been more important than it is today. And what I want you to understand as we're in this series is this. There's a big difference between having kids and raising kids. 
Anybody can have kids, you know, most anybody can. But raising kids, that's a kind of a different story. As a matter of fact, I want you to listen to the following statement because it's so true. The pain of childbirth is twofold. There's the pain of bringing the child into the world, and there's the pain of bringing that child up in the world. And the latter is greater. The physical pain of bearing a child is tremendous, but usually lasts only a few hours. But the pain of rearing that same child lasts a lifetime and never lessens. I can tell you by way of firsthand testimony, that is so true. And I was thinking about as I was working on these messages, just how much has changed since I was a parent of young children and I had kids at home. I mean, everything's changed. The culture has changed. The view of the family has changed. Technology has even made communicating with kids in the next generation so much different than it was when I was a parent and so much more difficult. Here, let me give you a perfect illustration. Back in the day, so to speak, uh, you'd meet somebody either at school or you at, or at college, and, or you might even meet them on the blind date, and uh, you would go with them for a while, and if you really felt like things were getting serious, then you would bring the person home to meet your parents so they could kind of build a relationship with them, and then you would get married. That's kind of how the way it was done. Well, everything's changed. Because today, it can even be done like this email that a girl sent to her father. She said, Dear Daddy, I'm coming home to get married soon, so get out your checkbook. I'm in love with a boy who lives far away from me. As you know, I'm in Australia, but he lives in Scotland. We met on a dating, dating website, eHarmony, became friends on Facebook, had long chats on WhatsApp. He proposed to me on Skype, and now we have too much relationship through Viber. My beloved and favorite dad, I need your blessing, good wishes, and a really big wedding. Lots of love and thanks, your favorite daughter, Lily. Now, this is how her dad responded. My dear Lily, like, wow, really cool, whatever. I suggest you two get married on Twitter, have fun on Tango, buy your kids on Amazon, pay for it through PayPal, and when you get fed up with this new husband, sell him on eBay, love your dad. Now, it's a different day. I, I get that. It, it's, it's totally, totally, completely different. We're now living in this cyber world that's computerized and digitalized. I mean, think about, be honest, parents. How many times will you look back on a given day and realize that you texted with your children more than you talked to your children? I mean, think about it. it it's, it's so different. There's a website two brothers came up with. It's really cool to go to. There's a website, and, and, and they created it, and it's called crazythingsparentstext.com. And they've compiled private text messages between parents and children. They're, they're hilarious. This is one of my favorites. This is a text dialogue between a father and a son. Now, watch this. Son, what time are you picking me up? Dad, who is this? Son, it's your son. Dad, how did you get this number? Son, I programmed your phone, remember? Dad, how do I delete people? <laughs> now, even in this modern, cyber, computerized, digital age, space age years in which we live, the raising of children, in my opinion, is still the most important and the most crucial job in the world because the future of our planet 
The future of our society, the future of our country, the future of our culture, the future of the church is no better than the next generation. And I said something like this last week. Our job is not just to leave this world a better place for our children. Our greater job is to to prepare our children to make sure that they leave this world a better place. And I'm going to be honest. As I kind of look back on how the past few generations have done it, I think it's kind of a mixed bag at best. So what I'd like to do as we begin this message today is I want to raise a question for every parent. It's a simple question, but it's a very thought-provoking, and it's a very crucial question. And by the way, it's a question that you ought to ask occasionally, maybe once every six months or so. You really ought to really sit down and ask yourself and think this question through. Okay, here's the question I want to ask you. What should you want for your kids? Now, not what do you want. I mean, what should you want as or for your kids? You may not know Dave Murr, it doesn't matter. He's a columnist for New Man Magazine. And he addresses different issues concerning the family. And in one article about parenting, he, he wrote these words. He said, child development professionals categorize kids into two main groups. One, naturally compliant, intrinsically kind, inherently logical children. And two, your children. (laughs) Then he goes on to note this. All parents hope to get their children in category number one, but end up with the children from number two. Now, what kind of children do you really want to produce? If you could see the end from the beginning, what kind of adult would you want your child to become? What kind of life would you want your child to lead? And this is not guesswork. What I'm about to share with you is not some you know, psychological theory, and it's more than just good psychological advice. It's more than even good pastoral advice, because here's the good news for all of us. God tells us what we should want for our children. And God tells us how we should get them there. Now, if you missed last week, I really would encourage you to go back. You can go online, go to to our website. You You can go back and listen to it again. I would really encourage you to go back and listen to it because last week we addressed parents specifically. Today, we're going to look at the product that parents ought to produce in their children. So if you've got brought a copy of God's Word or an iPad or a smartphone or whatever it is you might use... I want you to turn back to the same book we were in last week, the book of Ephesians, same chapter, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I want to share with you what PG parenting looks like from God's point of view and the things that we ought to really want for our children. And I can tell you, if I had my parenting days to do over again, these are the same three things I would want for them today that I would have wanted them when I first started my family. Here's what we read in Ephesians 6. Number one, we should want our children to live rightly. We should want our children to live rightly. Now listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 1. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now, if you've read your Bible or know much about the Bible, there's something right off the bat that ought to catch your attention. There's something very unusual about that verse. Now, you may not know what it is, but I'll just give you a clue. It's found in the first word. There are very few scriptures that are addressed to children. You go back and read the Bible, starting from Genesis to Revelation, you'll find very, very few times where it's not adults that they're talking to. It's not full-grown people they're talking to. They're actually talking 
to children. Now, parents are in the background, but he's talking here to children. Now, that tells me something. You see, the home is a school, and the professors are the parents. And what Paul says is the very first lesson in the school of life every child has to be taught from the time they're born is the lesson of obedience. First thing you got to teach that child from the time they're little bitty to the time, I mean, they start to grow. You got to teach that child to obey. Now, you all know why, right? Because children do not tend to obey from the time that they're born. They have to be trained to obey. They have to be taught to obey. If, if your kids are like my kids, and they are and they were, obedience does not come naturally to children. Disobedience, they're experts, right? They know how to do it. They know how to do the opposite of what you tell them to do. And teaching your children obedience and the way you teach them, by the way, changes at different stages of life. You can't always teach them the same way. I read the other day about two moms, and they were at different phases of life, and they were talking about their kids. And they were watching their kids play on the playground, and one mom looked at the other one, and she said, you know, isn't it ironic that we spend the first 12 months teaching our kids to walk and talk, and the next 12 years telling them to sit down and shut up? Now, you know, that's true. There's a truth to that. You know, when they're young, here's the difference. When your kids are young, you will spend a little more time telling your kids what to do and what not what to do. That's what you do. But as your kids get older, then you've got to spend more time not telling them what to do and what not to do. Then you've got to spend time training them to decide what to do and what not to do. Now, that's tough for a lot of parents. But part of the training is allowing your kids to make mistakes. I'm just going to tell you that right now. If you make up your mind, I'm never going to let my child make a mistake. I'm telling you right now. Number one, you're fighting a war you can't win. Number two, you're going to keep your children from learning some lessons you can only learn by making mistakes. And then you don't just correct them. When you see your child making a mistake, and you know there are times, you know what? This train's going to wreck, and I, no matter what I do, they're going to wreck this train. What you've got to be prepared to do then is to teach them to learn from their mistake. Now, I want you to notice, even though Paul is talking to children, do you notice he's addressing both parents? He doesn't say, children, obey your dad. He says, children, obey your parents. What does that mean? It is the job of both parents to teach their children to obey, and every child is expected to obey both parents. Parents. Now, I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. I'm not telling you anything that's not really revolutionary, except I go back to last week. Had you been reading this 2,000 years ago, your jaw would have dropped. This was so revolutionary because 2,000 years ago, ladies, I hate to tell you this, but 2,000 years ago in Greek culture and in Roman society, a woman only had one responsibility have kids, bear the children. Children did not have to obey their moms. Children did not have to respect their moms. They had to obey their dad. They had to respect their dad. They had to answer to their dad, but not to mom. Because the honor and the obedience was due to the father. And then Paul comes along and says, oh, no, that's not the way it works. God's plan is that they are to obey both the mom and the dad. They are to honor both the mom 
and the dead. And you know why that was so revolutionary? Because Paul comes along and says, I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what society says. When it comes to being obeyed and honored and respected, mom's equal to dad. Dad's not above mom. Mom's not below dad. They are on equal ground. And that mother deserves the same respect and the same obedience and the same honor that the father does. But then Paul says something very important. He says, it's not enough just to teach your children that they are to obey we got to teach them why they are to obey. Now, watch this. Why should children obey? For this is, I want everybody to say that word with me. Right. This is right. So you say, why is there such an emphasis on right? Well, number one, that tells me something. There is such a thing as right that's always right. And there is such a thing as wrong that's always wrong. And Paul is kind of letting us know, hey, by the way, while you're teaching your kids to obey, let me just tell you, it is also your job to teach your kids the difference between right and wrong and to teach your kids to do right and to act right. It is right for children to obey their parents and parents are to teach their children what is right. And by the way, parents, that's your responsibility. That is not primarily the responsibility of a Christian school. It is not primarily the responsibility of a pastor. It is not the primary responsibility of the church. It is the responsibility of the parents to teach their kids right from wrong. And so I just want to stop here and kind of take a little time out. And I just want to kind of give you three little lessons you ought to be teaching your kids to help them understand why they ought to know that it's doing right and wrong and why it is so important that they carry that knowledge through their life. There are three things you've got to teach your kids. And by the way, in a way, you never quit teaching your kids this. You really don't, okay? So if you want to teach your kids what's right and what's wrong, you have to start out. Here's lesson number one. There's a difference between right and wrong. You've got to teach kids that. Culture will tell you today, no, there's nothing necessarily always wrong or always right. If it feels good, do it. If it didn't hurt anybody, it must be okay. You're nobody's policeman. You can't tell me what to do. You can't judge me. If I think it's right for me, it may be right. Sorry. Just because something is legal doesn't make it right. Just because, the majority, just because the majority of the people vote for it doesn't make it right. There are some things that are right. There are some things that are wrong. Always will be, always have been, and are today. And you've got to teach your kids the difference between right and wrong. Lesson one. Lesson two. You are to do right, not wrong. There's a right and a wrong, and I expect you to do right and not wrong. Lesson number three. If you do wrong and not right, you're going to suffer the consequences. Can I tell you why that's such a big deal? And I'm just going to get on a soapbox just for 30 seconds, and I'll get off my soapbox. I am sick and tired up to here of hearing this victim theology all the time. Take responsibility for your own actions. If you messed up, admit it. Don't go blaming everybody else. Don't blame this, that, or the other. Accept responsibility. Own up to what you've done. Teach your kids there's a difference between right and wrong. Do right and don't do wrong. But when you do wrong, you're going to suffer the consequences. So Paul says, one of the things we ought to teach our kids is this. I want you to live rightly. I want you to do right. I want you to act right. I want you to think right. I want you to be right. Live rightly. Lesson two. Live respectfully. Live respectfully. He says this in verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. 
Now, this is where a lot of parents, can I be honest, are failing today. It's not enough just to teach your kids to obey you. You've got to teach your kids to honor you. And there's a difference between a child obeying their parents and honoring their parents. You say, what's the difference? Obedience is an action that you do on the outside. Honor is an attitude that you have on the inside. That word honor means to give respect to. In other words, what Paul is saying is children are not to obey their parents gripingly or grudgingly or with complaining or moaning or back-talking. It is just as important that you teach your kids to have the right attitude as it is that they do the right action. And let me tell you why. A child, now listen to this, a child cannot honor his parents without obeying his parents. Got it? You cannot honor your parents, kids, if you don't obey your parents. However, you can't obey your parents without honoring your parents. And both go together. And by the way, there's a difference between being childish and being childlike. Here's the difference. When a child is being childlike, they're just being open. They're being transparent. They're being honest. They're just telling you how they feel. But when they're being childish, they're being selfish. They're being, have a, they've got a rebellious attitude. They talk disrespectfully. They throw temper tantrums. See, it's okay for a child to be displeased. They have to obey. Let me tell you something. If you tell your child to clean up their room, they're not going to walk upstairs whistling and singing to the top of their lungs, okay? That's all right. They don't have to obey you. Uh, you, know, uh, uh, in, in, you know, they can be displeased, but they cannot be disrespectful in how they obey. Teach them to honor. And by the way, while I'm in the territory, don't ever around me, around me, don't you ever call your mother your old lady. And don't you ever call your dad the old man. He is your father. He is your she is your mother. You wouldn't even have life if it wasn't for those two people. You owe them your very life. They deserve for you to bring, give them honor even in the way you address them. And by the way, this is not just a word for small children. This is a word for grown children. That verb to honor, did you listen to this? That verb honor in the Greek language is in the present tense. And you don't have to know what that, that is. You just simply need to know this. Every time a verb in the Greek language is in the present tense, it denotes continuous action. What it literally says is this. Honor your father and mother today, tomorrow, and forever. Honor your father and mother, and don't you ever stop honoring your father and your mother. See, I, my three sons are all grown, right? They, they've now reached a stage in their life. They are no longer obligated to obey me. I no longer tell them what to do. I wouldn't try to tell them what to do. I mean, it didn't work when they were small. Why don't things going to work now, right? But my point is, that, that, that's not my job. They're not obligated to obey me. But listen, they are obligated to honor me. They are obligated to honor their mother, and there never will come a time. There's come a time when they don't have to obey me. There will never be a time when they're no longer to honor me and their, and their mother. Obedience stops. There's a time when obedience stops, but honor never does. Now, let me just say this real quickly. There are two stages to honoring your parents, and if you're a kid, you need to listen to this. If you're a teenager or if you're a grown adult, you need to listen to this. There's two stages. Stage one, you honor your parents by doing what they tell you to do and doing it with a submissive spirit, doing it with a right heart, and doing it in a respectful way. That's stage one. But you go out of stage one. Then you go into stage two. 
Stage two is honoring your parents not by doing what they tell you to do because they no longer can tell you what to do. Stage two is not you do what they tell you to do. Stage two is when you do what they need you to do. Honor never ends. There's a time I honored my mom and dad because I, by obeying them when they told me what to do. But then there was a time when I honored my mom and dad by doing for them what they needed me to do. So you can honor your parents by taking care of them. You can honor your parents even after they're gone. If they give you a request to do something they can no longer do. You honor your parents by what you say to them and the way you say it. You know, we, you've ever, we've all heard the saying that actions speak louder than words. Let me tell you something. Sometimes words speak louder than actions. And there's never a time when you can just kind of talk to your parents any way you want to talk to them and be disrespectful to them in the way you address them. And even the words that you say should always honor your parents. When my dad was on his deathbed, he was in the hospital in Snellville, and it was about two nights before my dad died. <clears throat> I was up at the hospital, and, and uh, I was visiting with him. And we were, it was just time for the talk, if you know what I mean. It was just time for the talk. And so it was he and I and my, my older brother, Rick, and so we were sitting in the hospital room, and he said, now, boys, I want you to make me a promise. I said, yes, sir. He said, you always take care of your mother. I'm counting on you. You always look after your mother. I said, yes, sir, I, we, we'll do that. He said, whatever she needs, you make sure she has. Whatever she needs, you, you do it for her. And those of you who know me know that we kept our promise. My brother and I, we, we looked after our mom. We took care of our mom. And then when my mom was in the last stages of her life, about a year, year ago, God rest her, but when my mom was in the last stages of her life, I was over there one day, and I never will forget this. You know, I hope I can say this out without getting emotional, but I was over there. It wasn't too long before she died, and, and she was kind of laying in the bed, and she was really kind of asleep, and I didn't want to bother, and I was in the room by myself. And I was staring out the, her, the window of her room, and I turned around, and I looked at her, and I just realized she's not going to be here very long, and I just started, you know, I just started weeping. And my mom woke up, and she saw me weeping. We didn't have to say a word. She started kind of weeping, and it was just kind of that unspoken, you know, Mom, you're not going to be here, here very long, and Son, I'm not going to be here long. It was that kind of a look. And I walked over to my mom, and I, I, I put my arms around her, and I hugged her, and I kissed her, and held her, and told her how much she meant to me. And then she, she looked at me, and she said, I want you to make me a promise. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, always look after your brother Mike. Many of you know my brother Mike. He's not here today. He's not well, but... She, you know, he's my deaf brother. And she said, I want you to always look after your brother, Mike. And I said, Mom, I promise you, I'll always look after him. And I make, I've kept that promise. And, and Teresa, and we always look after him. And you see, by the way, let me tell you why this is so important. You say, well, I know why it's important, because it's, it's required. Well, yeah, it's the required thing to do. And you may say, well, yeah, I know why I ought to do it. It's, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, but it's more than that. The reason why you ought to honor your parents is not just because it's the right thing to do, not even just because it's the required thing to do. Paul says it is the rewarding thing to do because he goes on to say this, listen, so that, here's why you do it, it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, what Paul was simply saying was this, if you will honor your parents, God will honor you. If you'll do right by your parents, God will do right by you. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is that true? Why does Paul add that? Why does he say, hey, if you'll obey your parents, and if you'll honor your parents, it will go well with you. 
And you might live, you probably will live a very long life. Well, think about it. Why does it generally, now this is a general statement, why does it generally go well with parents or, or, or with children who honor and obey their parents? Here's why. If a child has godly parents and that parent gives that child godly advice and he takes that advice or she takes that advice and they listen to that advice and they obey their parent and they honor their parents, what do you think happens? They save themselves from a lot of sin, sorrow, and suffering. They won't be running around with the wrong crowd. They won't be doing the wrong thing. They won't be caught in the wrong place at the wrong time if they honor and obey their parents. Let me just tell you something. When you parents teach your children to obey you, and when your parents teach your children to honor you, you might ought to just kind of clue your kids in on something. You might ought to sit down with your kids sometime and say, let me ask you a question. Why do you think I want you to obey me? Why do you think I want you to honor me? And if they look at you and say, well, I'll tell you why, because it's best for you. You look at them and say, it's not just best for me, it's best for you. Because God says, if you'll obey me and honor me, he'll see to it. It will go well with you. And you might just live a long life on this earth. So number one, teach your kids to live rightly. Teach your kids to live respectfully. And here's the last thing. Teach your kids to live reverently, reverently. I, I, I want to go back and pick up three words that I purposely skipped back in verse 1. I want you to listen to it again. He says, children, obey your parents. Let's say those words out loud. In the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, what does that mean? I mean, that's kind of a nebulous phrase. I'll admit that. I mean, what does it mean to have your kids obey your children or have children obey you in the Lord? Well, in a parallel passage Paul wrote to another church, he put it this way. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. He says, look, teach your children above everything else you teach them. Live in such a way that you please the Lord. Now, obviously, that goes back to what we said last week. That begs the question that the parents are godly parents who know the Lord and who want their children to know the Lord. So let me tell you one of the greatest questions you can ever, ever teach your children to ask themselves before they start to do something. You know, one of the things you're trying to prepare your kids for, and I know you know this, one of the things you're trying to prepare your kids for is to leave home. Right? One of these days, they'll be driving a car. One of these days, they'll be going off with their friends. One of these days, they'll start to date. One of these days, they'll go to college. And you're really trying to spend those early years getting them ready to do that. Let me tell you a question to teach your children. And just say this to your kids. Look, I'm not always going to be there to tell you what to do. And matter of fact, let me give you some good news. I don't always want to be there to tell you what to do. I don't want to be your policeman anymore. I don't want to be that authoritative parent anymore. I'm tired of that. I've had my fill of it. Time for you to get out on your own. So I'm just going to ask you, when you're away from home and you're thinking about doing something or going somewhere or partaking in some activity, just ask this one question. Would this please the Lord? Boy, does that save a lot of heartache? Does that save a lot of sorrow? Does that save a lot of tears? Does that save a lot of hurt? Would this please the Lord? Hey, what you're about to do, would that bring joy to the heart of the Lord? Well, what you're about to do, where you're about to go, who you're about to go with, would that put a smile on the face of the Lord? A lot of you don't know this. 
I, I didn't start out my ministry as a pastor. Uh, I started out my ministry as a student pastor. My first three years of ministry were, were spent as a, as a student pastor. And, and there's something that, that I gained in doing that I've never lost. I, I love parents. And I love children, but I have a real love for teenagers because I spent three years of my life hanging out and ministering to teenagers. And I'll tell you something. I learned so much in those three years of being a student pastor. You know, Yogi Berra once made a great statement. He said, you can observe a lot just by watching. Well, I observed a lot just by watching. And let me tell you what I saw, and I see it today. You can divide every parent up in this room in two categories. I, let me, I, listen, this is one of those you can take to the bank, okay? I'm, this is not guesswork. I'm not, it's not subjective. I'm telling you from experience. There are two kinds of parents in this room. There are two kinds of parents listening to this message. There are two kinds of parents watching on TV, watching online right now. You fall into one of two categories, and they're real easy to spot. I saw them every time. There are parents who raise their kids one of two ways, all right? Many parents raise their kids by looking at the culture. That's how they raise their kids. They look at the culture. So they take their cues from modern family. I guess that's the model. I guess that's the way the family ought to be. And they let Hollywood tell them how to raise their kids. And they let entertainers tell them how to raise their kids. And they let their peers around them dictate how they raise their kids. Let's just be honest. Some of you are in that category. You're raising your kids by looking at the culture. But then there are parents who raise their children by listening to Scripture. They listen to Scripture. They don't take their cues from modern family. They take their cues from an ancient Bible. You know what that means? These are the parents who don't just teach their kids right from wrong. And these are the parents who don't just teach their kids to do right and not wrong. These are the parents who teach their kids to stand up for what's right. And to speak up for what's right. And to live life by God's word and not the opinion of their friends or their culture. Let me tell you something. The next time your child says something like this, you know what's wrong. Well, everybody else is doing it. Let me tell you two things. That's real easy. I love it when my kids gave me that question. They'd say, well, everybody else is doing it. And I'd always look at them and I'd say, well, I only have two problems with that statement. Number one, your last name is Merritt. It's not everybody. <laughs> Number two, I don't care. I really don't care. I don't care. And, and let me listen again. I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. It's not that I'm not picking on anybody. I really don't care what the politicians say or the pundits say or the polls say. I, I, I don't care. There's certain, when God says something is right, that's the end of the discussion. When God says something is wrong, that's the end of the discussion. You say, you don't respect my opinion. It's worse than that. I don't care for your opinion. <laughs> I don't mean that to be ugly. I don't mean that to be unkind. There are just some things that are just not up for debate. They're just not up for discussion. Any, anything you want to talk about, abortion, marriage, sexuality, there are just certain things that are not up for discussion. Right's right, wrong's wrong. And, 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 and when, you listen to the, when you listen to Scripture, you teach your kids, look, 
There's only one plumb line you use to live your life. It's this book. You know, it doesn't matter what this, this rapper says. It doesn't matter what that movie star says. It doesn't matter what this politician says. We're going to live by God's word. So let me just kind of wrap all this up. Look, let me, let me tell you, I get it. Listen, mom and dad, I get it. It is tough being a parent. It is as difficult being a parent today as it has ever been, and yet it has never been more important to raise children to live rightly and respectfully and reverently in the day and age in which we're living. Somebody has well said this. They said, children are a great comfort in your old age, and they'll help you reach it a lot faster. So true. So let me just kind of tell you something. I want to give you, I want to, I want to help you parents here because this is, the, I, I, I realize that, that you're kind of where we are right now. This is a dangerous series because somebody will say, well, he's trying to put me on a guilt trip. Or, I, I'm really not. That's, that's not my purpose at all. But let me just say this to you. I cannot guarantee any parent in this room, nor can any parent guarantee for themselves how their children are going to turn out. I can't guarantee that. I, I really can't. I'm going to talk about this next week. Good parents turn out bad kids, and bad parents turn out good kids. I, I get that. Here's what I can tell you. You cannot control, at the end of the day, how your kids are going to turn out. You can't control that. I'll tell you what you can control. You can control whether or not you make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. You can control that. And you can control whether or not you're going to do everything you can to help your children commit their life to Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you the best gift you'll ever give your children is a guarantee that they will go to heaven when they die and meet the God as their father. And if you fail to do that, I don't care what else you do, you have failed as a PG parent. So let me just tell you one last thing and we'll, we'll be done. One of the most amazing animals I've ever seen in my life, and you've seen them, you probably didn't realize just how, what an amazing animal you're, you're seeing, is a seeing-eye dog. It's, it's amazing. They're called guide dogs. They're fantastic animals. So I'm reading the other day about these guide dogs and how they're trained, and this fascinated me. You ready for this? The first thing they do when they train a guide dog, they train this guide dog in what's called intelligence disobedience. I thought, what in the world is that? Are you ready for this? Here's the first thing they teach their, these dogs. They give them an unsafe command, and they teach them then not to obey it, right? So, for example, they'll, they, they'll teach them to refuse to step out into a street when there's oncoming traffic. So that, that's the way they teach. Very, very, very important. Intelligence, disobedience, okay? They teach them, first of all, let me show you what not to do, even if you're tempted to do it. So what they're really teaching that dog to do is overcome temptation. I thought, man, that is, that's just awesome. Then I learned, after they teach them intelligence, disobedience, then they turn around and they train them to have impeccable manners because of all the times they've got to visit places of public accommodations like restaurants and grocery stores and public transportation. That, that's necessary. Then they teach that dog to have an eagerness to please. In other words, a good attitude. Have a willingness to work and teach them to obey their master. Boy, I read about that and I thought to myself, well, that pretty much completes that. And then it hit me. If we desire all of that in our dogs... How much more should we desire that for our kids? Let's pray together.